Welcome back to the Hustle Podcast. I'm Tony Sanchez, a design lead at FunSize, and I'll be filling in for Anthony this episode. I have with me here, Chaz Moore, the founder and executive director of Austin Justice Coalition. How's it going, Chaz? Good, good. What have you been up to lately? I know well, that's, besides... that, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there because that, because <laughs> yeah. obviously um, there's a lot going on these days. You know, staying in the house as much as I can, trying not to, you know, catch coronavirus or, or spread it. Mm-hmm. Um, working on t- trying to navigate the conversations around defunding the police mm-hmm. and imagining this, and, and imagining this world where we have different public safety and and just really reimagining public safety. Organizing in the midst of a pandemic is is has been interesting and and new and relentless all at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, just taking all this in and appreciating the crazy chaos that comes with the year 2020. Oh man, it has been such a wild ride. I thought I thought I thought uh, last year was wild and then we then 2020 hit us. It's been crazy. Is the you know it, this is like one of those, you know, just like who who would have thought right? Like who would have thought like this would be this year? Like from you know the pandemic and racism, you know, battling out to see who's like the craziest of the two. We all know the, who the winner in that case is. Mm-hmm. You know, even some of the the crazy good stuff, like some of the Supreme Court decisions, is just like oh. Well, this is, you know, DACA and all that, right? It's just like, it, it's, what does 2020 mean? I can't wait man. Um, till we get to like the, the end of the year and do like the end of year review, the top 10 of 2020. Oh my gosh. Like that, that I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, there, it's been such a, such a intense year and we're just barely halfway through. I'm Anxious, nervous, excited, worried about the rest of the year, but I, I can imagine looking back and doing that retrospective at the end will be pretty incredible, uh, and and it will be a mark in history for a lot of things, and it's awesome to be a part of it. For those of you listening, AJC is an awesome, awesome organization that works through social justice means here in the the Austin area, and I had the great opportunity of working with the AJC team. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Chaz. I believe it was last year, about mm-hmm. maybe mid-year, maybe something like that. Yeah, I felt like it was a little less hot than this. So maybe <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Oh, yeah, maybe like like early May. Was it was it kind of wait? Was it kind of South by time? Were you doing some appearances or in like like panels and stuff at that time? Maybe, maybe it might have been was, around. There. It was it was a crazy time. Yeah. But we had a we had a great opportunity to work together to look at the, the AJC brand, uh, brand and identity and direction of the organization, uh, and really start to unpack things from a, a holistic view. And it was really great to work with you all. Um, shout out Suki, shout out Francis, shout out Chaz, shout out JP, all great great folks to work with. Uh, little, little caveat: I had worked with a previous client, and uh, I was watching I was watching the video that that another coworker put together. And I was on site at the client and um, I, the, one of the guys I was working with, he was like, Hey, what is that? And he, cause he saw Francis and Suki mm-hmm. and he was like, what is that? I was like, Oh, that's a, you know, this project that we did back, back and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, I know them. And it was uh, a guy named Barry. You happen to remember a guy named Barry? Barry James. Yeah. 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 He, and he was, he was working with the, the company that I was working with and uh, he was, couldn't couldn't speak any more highly of y'all. So also shout out Barry. 
Yeah, Barry was um Barry was like one of the like the original people at the very beginning. He was he mm-hmm, was with mm-hmm. us when we were at the Victory Grill before it got its um its remodel. So yeah, Barry was very instrumental to laying the foundation and the structure in which we have today. So yeah. uh we miss you, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, for those of you listening, AJC folks are great. Um, I'll give you, Chaz, just an opportunity to give a quick overview of AJC and the mission, you know, for, for everybody listening here on the on the podcast. So Austin Justice Coalition is a is a racial justice group here in town. And, you know, we really wanted to focus on the racial justice part because everybody does social justice, right? Which is a good thing. I'm not knocking anybody that does that. So don't send me a, a bad email. But, you know, Austin Justice Coalition is a racial justice group. That, you know, um, I'm literally reading that mission statement that educates and builds community power for people of color who live in Austin um, Mm -hmm. that need support, community and liberation during a time of systemic injustice in America. Right. And we actually came up with that statement after we did the um, exercise with you all. You all asked us what was our 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 onlyness statement, I believe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we came up with this because we do a lot of the work. Um, if not all of it through a racial justice lens, because um, it's America and everything is impacted by race. So that's the lens we work with. And, and that's a very, very small um, scope of, of who we are. Awesome. For those of you listening, check him out. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, website, AustinJusticeCoalition.com. Give him a follow. Keep up to date on everything that's going on uh, and get involved. So thanks for that that overview, Chaz. I'm going to come at you with a pretty big one straight out of the gate, if that's okay. Let's try it. So George Floyd, right? Mm-hmm. Highly publicized. And there's, I think that there's still a lot of people that don't quite know, you know, the context or timeline of, of the uh, enormous racial violence within law enforcement. So maybe you could unpack it for us. So why, why was this incident? Because there's been so many incidents, so many, like, so many... Uh, so many incidents that 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 have happened recent over time, always right. So why was this incident in particular such a massive moment? I've been asking myself that that same question. I think many people in this anti-racist movement, the police accountability movement, the movement for Black Lives, have asked that same question because you you know you're absolutely right. There's been countless George Floyd's. There's been countless. Breonna Taylor's and countless Mike Ramos's. Mm -hmm. And I think the difference is, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to use a Hamilton reference. I think because of the coronavirus, you know, unlike Aaron Burr, we, we were all in maybe not the space, but we were all in a room when it happened, right? Like Mm -hmm, a larger mm -hmm. majority of us were not at happy hour. We were not at work we were not stuck mm-hmm. in traffic to where somebody had to ask us you know did you hear about what happened to to Sandra Bland or did you hear about what happened to David Joseph or did you hear about what happened to Tamir Rice or, or or whomever a very large percentage of Americans because of the coronavirus and stay home orders and social distancing were um, at home and we were forced to to grapple with um, watching this man die, right? Like we all mm-hmm. um, watched, um, you know, the eight minutes and 46 seconds of him um, not even struggling, you know, just literally this guy sitting on his neck 
And, yeah. you know, the other cops that were behind the car that we later see in, in other images. Um, so, you know, the fact that th- there was no room for all the questions like, well, what was he doing? And mm-hmm. this could have been prevented and blah, blah, blah. Like, we all collectively viewed it. I think we were all, yeah, we're, yeah, we were all spectators. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, we were all, yeah. like, like I said, we were all in the room when it happened. And, you know, you, you know, it was that moment brought us together in a new way, a, a sad and, you know, and, and harrowing way. But I, I think that's the difference, right? I think that's the key difference that, you know, all the things that came along with the coronavirus and being at home on top of like this, you know, apparent case of, of police violence and state violence and anti-blackness and white supremacy mm-hmm. was just right there in our faces. And I think that's why we're seeing um, the uproar and the uprising that we're seeing today. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, we're, we're talking about all the crazy things that have happened this year. And then, you know, whenever that, that tragic case happened, it was a extremely sobering moment um, in my reality. It was, I don't know. It's kind of like words can't describe the feelings that I was having. I think that I could say that I, I, I think a lot of people felt that way. It's kind of like fortunate and unfortunate to say that like, okay, finally, some, you know, people finally woke up. Why did it take so long to wake up? Yeah. You know, and I, you know, I, I, I get that. Right. Um, you know, I give, I give an example of an alarm clock, not as an excuse for people, but it, it just is what it is because we're all human. Um, and you know, you and I, and most of us, you, you know, w- we have a meeting at nine thirty, so we try to wake up at eight. We set the alarm for eight, and mm-hmm. um, if you're like me, I hear that alarm, but I ignore it, <laughs> and, and then it, <laughs> it takes the third or fourth time um, for that alarm to go off for me to realize, mm-hmm. okay, I need to, I need to wake up and I need to start getting ready for the day. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think there's been an infinite amount of alarm clocks from the moment you know the first ship of Africans that were, you know, enslaved from the continent of Africa came upon these shores. And mm-hmm. when, you know, European settlers slaughtered, you know, indigenous folk, you know, fast forward to, you know, and all in between that, right? Um, I think another huge alarm clock was uh, was Emmett Till, which started the mm-hmm. civil rights movement mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. so many others, right? And I think George Floyd and his family, um, I hope they find some solace in the fact that maybe, just maybe, George Floyd um, was the alarm clock that that resounded so loudly with so many of us and made us realize, okay, you know, we we can't stay in bed any longer. We can't sleep any longer. We have to yeah. get to work so we can get to this place where we all deserve to be. Yeah. Something's got to change. Yep. Incredible. So kind of taking it back home a little bit. In Austin, there were incredible, incredible uh, showing of, of force of change and protest. Um, and so I assume that AJC saw a massive spike in public attention from uh, following those events. You know, I saw you on everywhere. So what's it been like? What's it been like to, to, to be a, such, a, such a force and, and represent such a, a cause and movement? It's um it's it's definitely humbling, right? It's it's humbling to have people trust you with so much and such a big thing. Oh, I can imagine, man. It's um 
it's it's refreshing to see so many new faces and have the new energy coming to the movement and ready to get to work. It's also very tiring, right? Like the phone is constantly on the go. Like even as we speak right now, um, mm-hmm. you know, everybody wants to get involved and it's, it's really, it, it's a beautiful thing, you know, and we, we don't take that for granted. We don't take it lightly. Um, and, you know, we try to make sure that we are speaking inclusively that we're speaking truth to power um, mm-hmm. and that we are also being very honest with people that while we fight for reform, um, we also have to fight to eradicate these systems because many of these systems, you know, such as policing is is so entrenched in racism and white supremacy that we that we it's imperative that we build something new for the livelihood of, of people that. Um, are black and people of color and people that are poor. So, you know, just also being very um, mindful that people are new to this space. A lot of people are not um, up to date, you know, are as up to date as maybe me or Sookie McMahon, who's my my, my right hand in the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, just just having that grace and that patience to 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 teach people, but also learn with them. Yeah. You know, that's that's one of the things that I quickly learned about you from the, the little bit of short time we we spent together uh, last year is that you're a very uplifting person, but you're also very direct and matter of fact about it. Uh, and I, for one, from from who I am, appreciate that. So how how have you all had to have you had to, had to expand? You know, how have you managed the growth of the organization? Uh, because, you know, I, I back back in the day. Whenever we were together, it was a, a very s- small group of people, and I imagine y'all have had to grow as grow as well to to accommodate all the folks wanting to come in. Well, the core team is still the same. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we still have the the nine people of color, well, eight black people, and JP, who's Brazilian, in in the leadership role. And thanks to all the generosity and um, the love from the community, we we're, we're able to now bring on you know JP, who is our the guy that makes all of our beautiful graphics and videos and mm-hmm, web mm-hmm. and web design um, full time, and also Aisha who manages our social media, which is now definitely a full time job. Um, mm-hmm. When you look at you know Instagram going from I believe fifteen hundred people to like thirty thousand, right? Like um, mm-hmm. managing that and making sure that we're staying um, relevant and giving people relevant information and things of that nature. So. And I think we'll be able to bring on, um, you know, if not the whole team, definitely a, a, a large chunk of them. And then also, I think we've been able to expand the work for our volunteers. Um, you, you know, it's it's always great to have a volunteer base and people that are ready to work. And now we can, like, do more research and we can do more phone banking. We can do more outreach because we have more people mm-hmm. um, in the trenches with us. So, you know, it's definitely not a shortage of work and uh, we've been able to spread some of that work out because of this new surge in energy because of the movement. Do you feel like you've been seeing good things come out of all the increased attention and outrage? And Yeah, I know? think, I think we've been seeing a lot more people that are willing to unlearn um, the things that keep us mm-hmm. where we are, uh, which is probably the most beneficial part, right? Like, all the policy stuff and all the reform stuff is a small victory, but to see people lean in in a very sincere way and say, you know what, 
I'm willing to do that hard internal work has definitely been very rewarding, right? And mm-hmm. to see like people come in and and buy into the vision that AJC is trying to create, even though we don't know where the hell we're going, right? Like we <laughs> just know we got we have to get out of here. Um yeah. and we want to get to this 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 liberation um black party that my friend Nakia Winfield mentioned yesterday when we did a a a live webinar where she's like, you know, somebody asked her what does liberation look like? And she said, it looks like a black party where, you know, there's samosas and there's mimosas and there's music and everybody's just being right. Like everybody can just be. And, you know, I I think it's, I think it's very interesting to see people buy into that idea and, and believe that that idea is, is, is feasible and willing to work to create that. So, you know, it's, again, Mm -hmm. it's just very humbling. Man, that's a that's a great and amazing representation of of what that would feel like. I imagine. Oh, absolutely! Everybody being able to be themselves, smile, have a good time, give everybody a hug. I mean, right? Music and food. COVID. Yeah. You know. <laughs> no, yeah. I whenever he said that, I just had the like a mental picture of what that looked like, or what that looked like, and what it would feel like. And uh, man, I would go. I would hang out. Yeah, I mean, it sounds sounds awesome, man. You know, we're talking about liberation and. And un, like undoing these systems and these oppressive institutions, so you you know everybody's welcome, and of course it has to be free, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. um, th- you know it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place to to escape to um, in the midst of all this crazy in twenty twenty. What do you think about locally versus nationally? You know, but the positive outcomes or changes so far, like. Sometimes I'm going to bring it back to tech a little bit. Like we live in a bubble here in, in Austin with tech, like. Do you think that that exists in the form of reform and and changes in this space? Like, are we doing more here than in other areas? Oh, I mean, I have no idea because, um, right, I'm not in all these other places. I see mm-hmm. um, the snapshots, right? Like, I see uh, Minneapolis is talking about disbanding um, or disbanding their police department, which mm-hmm. um, is awesome from an outside perspective. But I don't know those. Um, community conversations. I don't know the internal conversations that they're having in in the community, but I imagine with the current national conversation or debate around reimagining public safety and reimagining policing, um, that everybody's, you know, it, like all these communities are doing the work. At least I hope they're doing the work um, to get towards or a march towards a more equitable and equal society. But I know in Austin, it feels Finally, it feels real, right? Um, mm. I think our city council, you know, hopefully the city manager is really listening and leaning into the voices um, of the community and and willing to do that hard uh, visionary work to set us up to where we can potentially, you know, get back to that liberation block party, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, as far as Austin goes, I, I think it's happening. I, I see people in tech bursting that bubble and realizing mm-hmm. that, hey, we have resources and and tools that can help us get to where we need to go. I see it in, you know, even financial resources. Like we've been able to bring in so much money over the last couple of weeks because people are investing in this idea of, you know, really unpacking and unlearning and undoing racism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, I think Austin is on the right track. And I think we just have to 
keep this energy and keep the momentum um, to make it to make it sustainable and to make it real. Definitely. Kind of like thinking on the the other end of that spectrum. Do you think that there are things that non-minorities are doing that they could potentially think are helping, like in response to, to everything that's going on, that are feel that, that you feel might be more harmful to black communities or just the whole the you know the, the movement as a whole? I think something that that non-people of color and even people of color that are holding on to white supremacist ideology and capitalist ideology, I think the most detrimental thing that people can do is say Black Lives Matter and and fight for equity and fight for equality, but still hold on to white privilege um, Mm -hmm. and still hold on to class privilege and still hold on to male privilege. Right. Like you -hmm. you can't do both of those things like you. You have to um, quite, you know, literally pick a side. Right. Like. Yeah. If if you're fighting yeah. for equity in black lives, you have to like you must. It's a requirement that you let these other things go. So absolutely. If you're fighting for this, but you're still holding on to this ideology and these philosophies, um, I think that's the most detrimental um, because it's mm-hmm. going to show up in one way or another. It, it'll show up in you calling the cops because a black person is walking around your neighborhood and like you think he's up to no good or she's up to no good. It'll show up in how you vote. Um, it'll mm-hmm. show up in like where you spend your money and where you spend your resources. So, yeah, you know, I think and I think we have to be honest about that. I think there are a lot of white people that come to the marches and the rallies, but they're not quite ready to have those conversations. And I think that's the most detrimental thing. Yeah, I'll say this, too. I think you you hit the nail right on the head there that to be part of it, you have to it has to be. It has to be you because it, it will show. And and one thing that I've noticed lately is, is, you know, people, places that I've gone, things that I've heard is that there's a lot more, there's a lot more checking going on of like, if somebody says something or if somebody is acting a certain way or, or, or being a certain way, I've, I've seen and heard people checking people on that a lot more. And I think that that is something that I haven't seen ever in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's awesome. Uh, and it's hard. It's hard. It's, you know, it's hard to have those conversations because it's changing behavior. You know, it's changing one behavior of someone. Cause, cause I think that like to the majority of, of the cases that we are all kind of uh, not necessarily afraid to, but to correct somebody, mm-hmm. but people are going outside of those comfort zones to correct people on what's right. And I think it's amazing. I've seen that happen quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more with that. So I, ha- I had another question, too, because I was listening to this other podcast. And it was an interview with a black woman. And she was talking about, you know, she's going about her day, doing her doing her, her daily thing. And she got a message from a notification from Venmo. And it was like, somebody sent you some money. And I was like, OK, well, where did this come from? And uh, she opened it up and it was like $5 or something like that. And uh, it was like, enjoy a, enjoy a coffee on me or something, something to that effect. And she's like, where in the heck did this come from? And she figured out who, like where it came from. And it was a, a, a white friend that she had back in college, like years and years and years ago. And I haven't talked to him forever. And uh, she finally contacted him. And they got to talking. And it's like, why did you send me this money? And he's like, well, I just thought you could, I thought you could use it, whatever. And immediately... 
it was, it, first of all, it was just insulting in the beginning. $5, what, what is that really going to do in the big picture? But I guess that's kind of regardless. But it, it led me to keep thinking through that and had the thought of like authentic engagement, right? And it's like, what does that, what does it mean to you for somebody to be authentically engaged um, in working on the problem of racism? Like, and, and maybe like, what does that look like? Uh, you know, I, I might not have articulated that, that, that story very well, but the idea is, and it kind of stems from the point that you were just making too, of like, how can you authentically engage with the, with the cause? I, I think the main thing a lot of people can do is just come with like, like an empty slate, right? Just come with like a whiteboard that has nothing on it um, mm-hmm. and be willing to um, first be willing to erase all the things that's on your board because a lot of it is things we were socialized to think and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, like we're programmed to not like people that are different than us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you, first of all, again, like you just have to like let all that go. Um, and I think a key way to authentically engage in the movement is just be willing to listen. Mm, yeah. Um, right. Especially mm-hmm. if you're not a black person or a person of color that has not historically been oppressed, like, you know, just, just come in and listen, right? Like don't come in and we know a lot of people want to help, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. but a lot of us don't know how to help or the way we want to help um, is not the best way to help. Um, and it's not transformational or it's not restorative. So, you know, just I think just really being able to completely and honestly come in and listen to see how you can best be um, best be beneficial if you are to see if you even can be beneficial to see if you even can be helpful. Um, it's mm-hmm. probably, you know, step one. Yeah, I, I think I think I think that's the, probably the most important way. Yeah, because I was thinking like, OK, like if I was to break it down, like you know, to be authentically engaged is, is a a multi-level, multi-level perspective. So like being authentically engaged emotionally, being authentically engaged socially, being authentically engaged financially or monetarily or whatever you want to call it. I just was, was trying to unpack that in my mind. And I, you know, I, I, I'm trying to, the reason I kind of asked that question is to learn, right. To, to try to learn what that means and how to be uh, you know, authentically engaged. And I think that the, the point you make of just being a listener and supportive and being, being there is, is a good first step. Yeah. Where do you think people should be devoting their attention on a national level? Right. So, or, or what are the best things that non-minorities on a personal level can do to make things better now? I mean, I know that we just talked about listening, but is there, you know, where can they do that? Right. So are you able to know when there are community meetings for from y'all's like Twitter or Instagram to come at least be a part of? I think getting engaged with uh, organizations like ours, um, you know, Austin Justice Coalition, go to the website, um, you know, www.austinjustice.org. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think we are really a good place to start. Um, but, you know, we're not the only organization. I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's organizations like CCU, Communities of Color United. Um, you know, you have your local Black Lives Matter chapter here, Black Lives Matter Austin. You know, I, I think building sincere relationships with, you know, Black co-workers um, or Black neighbors and, and learning that way. Also doing, you know, your own homework and reading books about race and anti-racism, right? I think um, I think How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram 
Ibram X. Kendi is, is really a really good book for a lot of people that are new to the space and new to this movement um, to get started. You know, there are podcasts, there are like medium and, and blog posts that are all constantly talking about this stuff. You know, there's so much that people can do. And I, I think people just have to find out what's the best avenue and the best way for, for them to kind of, you know, begin to stick their feet in the pool mm-hmm. um, as they slowly um, dive in, you know. So uh, whether it's signing up for like, you know, again, like an organizational newsletter or making relationships with people that are not normally in your friend circles um, are, are, are both, you know, really good ways to, to start doing this work. Just getting involved and uh, and being an advocate for sure. Yeah. To kind of close up, what what is AJC trying to accomplish right now, right? And what is what is the best way for people to to get involved? I mean, I guess like you said, like uh, just trying to find ways to educate yourself. But anything specifically that that you want to call out? Um. Yeah. So you know, like the the biggest things that we're working on right now is um, working on reallocating um, a large portion of the extremely large um, budget that the Austin Police Department has. Uh, right now, Austin Police Department has a police budget that's over $400 million. Um, it takes up about 40% of the overall city budget. And I think that's important to note because we're talking about, you know, reimagining policing, reimagining public safety. And, you know, a lot of people agree that police should not be going to every call that comes through 911. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people agree that maybe we should send somebody else to answer and deal with 911 mental health crisis calls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way we can do that is by reallocating some of those resources and funds from APD and put them into other programs or entities or institutions that can address these problems. Right. So exactly. One thing that we're asking for from the city council and city manager um, is to, you know, seriously reconsider the budget and consider divesting, like at the bare minimum, a hundred million dollars from APD and using that money to create or the, like, uh, um, other means of public safety and alternatives to public safety besides just police. You know, that's going to take a, a village and a community, <laughs> um, way larger than this Austin Justice Coalition. So, and, you know, we have all this information on the site about, why this is important and how you can do it and why it should be done. Um, we also think that as we step into this new world and this new future for all of us, um, that, that requires leadership, um, within these institutions that understand the complexities of the problems, right? And that's why we're also asking for Chief Manley to resign, right? And I know a lot of people mm-hmm. think that sounds harsh, but I say all the time, it's really nothing personal, right? I think the guy's a good guy. I think mm-hmm. he's a Boy mm-hmm. Scout. I think, you know, if you went on vacation for two weeks, and I say this all the time, if you went on vacation for two weeks and he was your neighbor, he would come, you know, feed your animals and water your plants. Like, he's that mm-hmm. good of a person. However, mm-hmm. as a police chief, as a leader of the police department, um, he doesn't seem to grasp the conversation that we're having. Um, he's been very quiet the officers under his leadership are responsible for not only the murder of Mike Ramos back in April 24th, mm-hmm. but also like, you know, shooting quote unquote non-lethal rounds at, you know, um, Justin Howell and, and Brad Ayala who suffered some serious injuries um, while they were yeah. at protests. So mm-hmm. um, we think it's also important to have leadership that 
can work with the tension um, that the community has with the police department and work through that and work with the community so we can build and have these um, these better institutions and alternatives to public safety. So um, those are the two main things that we're working on right now. We would love mm-hmm. for everybody to to help us, you know, uh, move the goalposts on these. Awesome. Well, I think that I think it was great to get to chat with you. Uh, it's always a pleasure. And I hope that we can hang out in person sometime soon. Me too, man. You know, if everybody stays in the house and, you know, wear their damn mask, maybe. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, I don't understand why it's so hard for people to do that. I have no idea, man. It's it's a, it's a wild time. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the world reopening and us being able to enjoy, um, you know, beer and food with one another again. So mm-hmm. hopefully everybody's staying safe so we can get there sooner than later. I'm waiting to go to the block party, my friend. Man, I'm waiting too, brother. Well, all right. Thank you for being here. Thank you for chatting with me. And we will talk soon. Thank you. Hustle is brought to you by FunSize, a digital service and product design agency that works with inspiring teams to uncover opportunities, evolve popular products, bring new businesses to market, and prepare for the future. Learn more at funsize.co. I'm Dina, a product designer at FunSize. Thanks for listening. Bye.